This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked me not to read an ad, so I'm just going to thank them for their constant friendship and support. Enjoy the show. I do my head toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Brad Pike, and he talks to me about his interest in cults. We spend a decent amount of time talking about the Jonestown Massacre. We segue into the Order of the Solar Temple, which I incorrectly identified as having happened mostly in Quebec. While there were some instances in Quebec, it was mostly centered in Geneva, Switzerland. So when we get there, if you're like some sort of fanatic on the topic, don't get mad at me. Or especially, don't get mad at Brad, because I was the one looking at the info at the time, fed him Quebec, and we just kind of kept operating under that assumption that was slightly incorrect. Then we spent a decent amount of time unpacking the cult of improv. Brad is the first person to tell you that he feels like he is a member of a cult mostly focused around a comedy institution in Chicago called the IO. He spends a lot of time there as a performer and employee and recognizes that so much of his time and energy goes into it and so many things have been sacrificed for the sake of it in his mind that he feels it is cult-like in nature. It's a really fun conversation. It gets peppered in throughout, so I hope you get as many laughs out of it as we did and don't think we're trying to make light of these other very serious, insane, brainwashy type situations because there's some uh, serious brainwashy bad stuff that happens in this community too. And uh, we were just trying to, you know, shine some light on it and both agree that it seems like things are getting better where that's concerned and more people are being called out for their abusive nature, uh, as is want in cult-like situations, kind of comes with the territory. With that said, if you'd like to see Brad's Herald team, Devil's Daughter, perform at I.O., they are there every Tuesday night at 10.30 with another Herald team. So you get to see two great Herald shows in one night in the Del Close Theater, it's a good time. I can practically guarantee it. If you would like to see an improv team that I am on at the Annoyance Theater on Thursday nights at 9.30, we host a show called The Fishbowl, where we invite other improv vets from around the community to perform with improv students. It helps bridge the gap between those two groups on stage and off, in my opinion. And the more that we can kind of show young improvisers and people or newer improvisers and people the way of good performance and good practices outside of that, the less likely there is to be a toxic environment surrounding it. At least that's my thoughts on the subject and some of my experience. Another show that I would like to plug for interested parties is my dear friend Adam Levin's one-man show that I have been directing for him. It will run Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock at the Annoyance Theater in July. So the next three Tuesdays, I believe it's the 11th, 18th, and 25th, you should come check that show out. 
Adam's worked really hard on the show. And if you are a longtime listener of MBSing, you may remember his, he and I's conversation on failure many years ago that we revisit often as friends and as pulling themes and tendencies from his life from that conversation. And uh, there's some kind of echoes of those tendencies and emotions in this show. And I, I think it's just, it's really good. Adam's worked really hard and I'm proud of the result. And I think he should be too. And I think everybody will get a good laugh and a good night of thoughtful entertainment out of the experience. That's all I've got. But isn't that great? Any Tuesday in July, you could go see a solo show of a dear friend of mine that I directed. And then you could go see right after that a Herald show of the very hilarious Brad Pike and many other wonderful improvisers, some of whom have also frequented MBSing. So uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot to see and do. Get out of the house. You know, don't get too caught up in the occult murders on Netflix. Oh, I was working at IO. Nice. Late, late into the night. As a, you're not an uh, intern. You're like a. I'm a paid host. Paid host, baby. So you seat people and stuff like that. Yep. Good for you, man. Yeah. Like, wh- how often do you work there? I would say like three to four nights of the week. That's not bad. Maybe more. That would be yeah. That because we were talking a little bit about IO stuff previous to this and that would be why you f- see so many <laughs> shows and has so many. I see a lot of shows yeah. I saw every single night of the showcase wow yeah that is I honestly imagine that would be fascinating oh yeah I mean, it was interesting to see like what kept recurring yes and, like what like the trends were like one thing that kept recurring that I saw was uh straight white males <laughs> Doing some bit that acknowledged their, their straight white, straight white maleness. maleness and like started it, it was like a like a kind of catalog of stereotypes about being a straight white male. Mm. Almost like this bubbling up of anxiety yes. in the community around yes. that that their their straight white maleness. <laughs> that does not necessarily surprise me. That that would be something that they would be like, particularly this of. year, right, right, <laughs> right, and particularly that building, even. Yes, <laughs> just seems like there's been a lot of the guys. former cracker factory, <laughs> <laughs> as we as we mentioned. Yeah, I the f- yeah they can't they shouldn't say formerly the Improv Olympic anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they should say the former cracker factory yeah. <laughs> oh that's very funny uh well i think that's awesome uh, i remember rachel koppel telling us before when i did the showcase someone else asked what kind of things popped up a lot and she said a lot of dating app jokes a lot of ride share jokes a lot of uber <laughs> rides yeah a lot of um celeb like Celebrity impressions at like a subway, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like this is uh, Steve Buscemi ordering a sandwich, <laughs> you know? Which it's like such a funny, like, if you say that, that, that sounds funny. I, I laughed. Steve Buscemi ordering a sandwich. Yeah. Uh, but then you hear it the eighth time. <laughs> and you're like, this is Owen Wilson, Luke Wilson, and 
<laughs> who's the other one? Um, I don't know. Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson, you know, ordering a sandwich. And of course, they both sound the same. And right. We, and we laugh and laugh and laugh. Right. I like, mean, this is Alec Baldwin, uh, Steve Baldwin, Nathan Baldwin, all. Uh, Billy Baldwin. Yeah, Billy Baldwin, all ordering uh, donuts. Right, right. Mm. And you. You've just seen it already. All right. This, I've, <laughs> I've been through this bit. <laughs> That's uh, the uh, bit I, of them both having the same voice is an old Mindy Kaling bit where, that she did on Comedy Death Ray where it was Scarlett Johansson and Julia Stiles <laughs> auditioning yeah, yeah. for the same role. And it's... <laughs> hilarious it's so yeah. funny she's like they both have low-pitched voices that's all that's the whole <laughs> bit and, and she's just like julia i don't know if i'm gonna get this part <laughs> like, it's it's nothing it's nothing but it's so funny uh so i really think you have to dig your heels in if that's what the joke is but like the, the joke has been, it, I mean, right. it's not like that, someone that, stole that from her. Oh, of course, yeah. you know? It's just that that bit is, you know, 15 years old probably, and uh, there's probably a f- more interesting, unique take yeah. on... I, I do feel a little bad because there's... If, there whoever's are going to be to this, people listening to this who know who, that who they like, did a bit like that. Yes, <laughs> and they should know there were countless people, and like... It's not anyone's fault. Like no, no one's watching all the showcases. Nobody no. else would know this. No, and it's not <laughs> even necessarily a terrible thing in the sense that part of the reason it comes up often is, like you said, because it's a funny idea. Yes. Like, and SNL doesn't necessarily always come up with these perfectly unique mm-hmm. ideas. They just get the highest echelon to... Sometimes they even plagiarize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Maybe unintentionally, I don't know. That's the thing, is all of it has to come with this understanding that there are very few purely unique ideas. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because the nature of comedy is that people have to be on board with the idea in the first place, you know? Uh, you can't just do something totally esoteric and expect it to be really funny if people don't even know what you're talking about. So part of it is coming up with things that are like in the zeitgeist. Um, so that's why I'm writing Fidget Spinner the Musical. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. My guest today is Brad Pike (laughs) and, uh, we're going to talk about his interest in cults. Yeah? Yes. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of surprised. This is one of those ones I'm surprised no one's really done before. Cults? Yeah. When's the first time that you remember being aware of a cult that you're like, whoa, that is bizarre. I want to I, know I more I think about I have, this. like, I have a morbid fascination with, like, murders and crime and, like, brainwashing. Okay. Uh, but, like, particularly, like, the Jonestown massacre mm-hmm. was, like, very... Jim, like a yeah, Jim Jones. That's what I thought his uh, name was. I was like, wait, that sounds made up. <laughs> <laughs> when did I first hear about that? I think it was like in college or something. I remember reading about the Jonestown and being like very, very morbidly fascinated. <laughs> okay, what exactly happened at Jonestown? Because I'm relatively familiar with it, but I feel like we could get like a little Wikipedia you oh, know, man. briefing so on it. So many things. <laughs> so Jim Jones was the head of this church called the People's Church. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it was like in the 70s or like 60s -hmm. during the civil rights era. And it was all about integration and socialism. Wow. But like particularly like integrationist. Okay. And he's this like very good, like if you read about him up to a certain point, he seems like the good guy. He's wow. Like, he adopt- yeah, I mean, everything he, you've said so far yeah. is relatively positive. Yeah, he was like <laughs> friends with Harvey Milk. Right. Uh, like all these civil rights, but he got like a humanitarian award wow. from, I think it was the Martin Luther King Foundation Society or something. Or something. Yeah. Uh, he was like the first white person in Indiana to adopt a black child. Whoa. Um, he just did, He oh, there was like a hate crime in his town where somebody like painted a swastika on somebody's house and he went around the whole neighborhood to reassure everyone. <gasps> Whoa. Like he's just seemed like a very good guy up to a point. Right. That's um, how they get you. <laughs> and then he, I think what happened, he's, so there started to be like accusations of, I think like abuse mm. at his churches. And so because the press uh, scrutiny started getting so great, he right. moved it to Jonestown. Jonestown. Yes, and that's that's and when then things it was behind closed doors to go downhill with a bunch of people who were willing to buy in enough to like go to a new place yes. and start. Uh, but what's crazy is they were uh, all smart people. Mm. They, it, it's not like what people think, which is that they were a bunch of like very suggestible rubes, right? Who were like, oh, yeah, I would love to go to, uh, what is it, Guyana and (laughs) live in the woods. Yeah, yeah, the mole women situation. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'll do anything. Right. Um, It was like Harvard, Yale, like Ivy League. Wow. uh, Mostly people of color. Like seventy percent people of color. Wow. Um, who just wanted to escape what they perceived as like racist, capitalist policies right. in America. Right. Which and like think about the sixties and seventies. Like it really did seem apocalyptic back then. Like we're we're super scared now, but back then it was like for Even real more riots, overt and yeah. yeah. Uh, Man, yeah, I mean, if someone, like you said, if someone in that era was taking such attention and being eloquent and well-informed on those topics and literally preaching against Mm -hmm. them, you know, it would be hard not to get in that boat. See, it always starts out with the seed of a good idea, like a good thing, (laughs) right? Right. And then it spins off. It has to be good at some point. Before you know it. You're uh, doing all this improv for free. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, Um, Yes, exactly. You have to, there has to be some kind of like incentive on the ground level. And I'm sure you would be able to speak to the kinds of specific inadequacies that people like cult leaders feed off of the most. Uh, so once you, what happened at Jonestown, like after the shit started hitting the fan? Well, there was abusive stuff. So 
he so before he actually arrived in Jonestown. Wait, so he, he like, sent people there? Was a little, there? Yeah, he sent people there, but there was like a period of time where he wasn't there. Before he got there, everything was super great. Oh my! <laughs> or it God. wasn't. It wasn't like super great, but it was. They like, were still figuring it out. You know, but it's, it's you know hundreds of people, like very smart people. Um, they're pretty prepared. Um, they were like watching cool movies. <laughs> And what what else were were they doing? Um, Probably like singing and stuff. They were just having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna and uh, as being soon mutually as, respectful of one another. Yeah, as soon as <laughs> that crazy thing. <laughs> as soon as Jim Jones gets there, he like start starts making them watch all these Soviet documentaries <gasps> and weird propaganda, and uh, he replaces the kind of educational lecture programs with uh, weird rants about the enemies of communism and socialism and like the CIA and the FBI is coming after us. And at some point, uh, there's this, I could go on and on about this. I, it gets, that's what this is it for, It gets baby. really crazy. Yes, yes. Uh, so there's, Two two parents defect from the uh, Jonestown. Okay. And Jim Jones still has their five-year-old son. Oh, my God. So they have to, like, it becomes kind of an ordeal in order to get the son back, where the Guiana government has to step in. This makes, Jones, this makes Jim Jones kind of paranoid and crazy. And oh, think my that, God. And, and he... Um, what does he do? He like sends people out into the wilderness to like defend against oh. the government. Oh, and sure. he uh, stages a fake sniper attack on himself. Oh my um, God. All this crazy stuff. Um, of course, and, that paranoia and stuff is so entwined. And his health is declining. <laughs> And he is on all these drugs. He's on like barbiturates, 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 like uh, quaaludes. I was all those say like seventies drugs. Everything that like I can't fathom how anyone was like awake and walking around in the seventies. Oh yeah. I think it's just because they used stuff like barbiturates and quaaludes, but then they would also use a bunch of speed and amphetamines. So like yeah. at some point it just like balanced out <laughs> and they were all just balancing a very thin line. Yeah. It does seem like the seventies is some kind of dream era. Yeah. Like nothing seems real about yeah. it. Yeah. By the last, you know, few episodes of Mad Men. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Okay, so so He's the parents us. of the five-year-olds, I think they get the five-year-old back, but they start this uh, organization that's for concerned family members of the Jonestown people. Oh, my gosh. And eventually they get up enough political clout that they get this uh, United States senator, Leo Ryan, to fly down with a kind of, I don't know, entourage of right. press and media. And uh, there's like a, a Washington Post reporter, I think, with them. And they go to visit Jonestown. And Jim Jones has like had everybody rehearse to make <gasps> everything seem okay. Oh, my God. But it's not okay because he's been like blasting uh 
his crazy rants through megaphones at all hours of days, day and night, and uh, doing these fake, uh, what do you call them, like loyalty tests where he would have them uh, take, like, like drink the Kool-Aid, uh, the Flavor-Aid, thinking that it was going to kill them, but it didn't. Oh. And he did this a couple times. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so they, sh- they show up, and it's, like, super great. And he tells uh, Jim Jones, Leo Ryan tells Jim Jones, oh, I'm going to go back to the United States, and I'm going to tell them that this is a great place Ooh. and that you're doing a great job. <laughs> it seems like you have a really nice setup Really here. up and up. Yeah. And then at dinner, he gets a note. He gets passed a note from, on behalf of several of the Jonestown members. Members, right. That they want to leave <laughs> because they are scared. Oh, my and, God. Or, or because they're, it's yeah, miserable. they're trying to get the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it shows how much his level of like both intimidation and insanity had mm-hmm. gotten so out of control that everyone was still willing to buy into like saving face. You yeah. know what I mean? That he was still able to get everyone to put on this show. Yeah. When He's people like, wanted to leave and he was crazy, you yeah. know? I think it was like a combination of fear and also loyalty and admiration. Yeah, right. Like, it's got to be a huge part of it. bought in so, so much. It's like no one wants to admit Del Close is a drug addicted <laughs> sexist. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I want know. that to be how this whole conversation Did I say Del? <laughs> no. I, I, meant, I meant Jim I, Jones. You meant Jim Jones. You meant Jim Jones. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is already so great. <laughs> okay, so... But yeah, obviously, you know, if you look at, and I'm sure you are have seen something like this or knowledge more knowledgeable about something like this than I would be. But if you look at the things, there's like a test that you take to yes. see if you're in a cult. And one of the big ones is loyalty. Like yes. one of the big ones is like, how blindly do you, do you adhere to the leader of this group or whatever? Like, how do you feel like the leader of well, this group? Usually you? it's like you have to give away all your stuff. That's like the number one thing that they have you do mm-hmm. is, is like put all your money and all of your possessions into a pool that all the, the whole cult has access to. Mm-hmm. But really, it, it's really it's this one guy. Right. <laughs> Jim like Jones using is using all your stuff. <laughs> Leo Ryan and uh, the, the defectors. Um, one of the defectors is this guy. I think his name, what is his name? One of the defectors is like not trustworthy. (laughs) He just steps in at the last second and he's like, yeah, I'd also like to leave. And the other defectors are like, I do not trust this guy. No, fuck this guy. So they get to the plane and this guy. uh, So Leo Ryan's like, yeah, these people can go back with us. Yes. Whoa. Wow. Fascinating. And that he thinks it's all fine. And this one defector takes out a knife and tries to stab him, tries to stab the senator. And he's, like, uh, held down, and he, like, doesn't manage to do it. Oh, my God. And then before they can get on the plane, this uh, uh, Jim Jones's security force, which is called the Red Brigade. The Red Brigade. They show up and start 
shooting people. No. Yeah. Uh, like before they can even get on the plane. They start shooting. The, they shoot the senator 20 times. They shoot like <sighs> three other people. Like nine people are injured. And um, it's I think the only time a U.S. senator has been successfully assassinated. Whoa. Was at Jonestown. Whoa. That's such a like weird fact. That is absolutely absurd. Like that's yeah. so bizarre. Uh, Can you imagine if a story like that came out now? Can already, you fucking imagine? Already the story has gone crazy. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but then the Red Brigade goes back and tells Jim Jones what's happened. And he calls an emergency meeting. So everybody uh, shows up for this. What, what would you call it? Um, what do you church service? Is mm. it for this service? Sure. It's like an emergency service, and he tells them that what what has happened, and that uh, the whatever CIA is imminently going to uh, come in. Come in. They're going to kidnap their children and convert them to fascism. Oh. And then he starts passing out the flavor aid and. The whole time he's like trying to calm them and like he's preaching to them and like telling them what that this is a better. This is what they should be doing because they get to like choose how they go and they don't have to go into fascism. Revolutionary suicide. You're going to write down the word revolutionary suicide. I am. (laughs) I am. And uh, the only. Oh. I love this detail that the only people who one of the people who didn't show up for the service who survived was because it was a 76 year old deaf woman. She didn't hear the announcement. She just didn't hear the announcement. So she just like laid in bed, you know. Ah, so wait, did the brigade just like put away all the people who were trying to get on the plane? Like what happened to any, you know, survivors of that situation? I think the survivors just kind of like sat, uh, you know, like just kind of hold up until um, rescue could arrive the next morning. But, oh, this is crazy. They record, he recorded his services. So there's a recording of the entire murder service or suicide service. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh so you my can god. Hear the kids getting, you know, and uh, like like the flavorades uh squirted into their mouths with like little syringes. syringes. Yeah. Oh my And there's god. just screaming and before they start doing it there's a woman like some they're all smart people. There's this woman who's like maybe we should wait and uh see what happens what? and <laughs> Why don't we just move to Moscow? Like, we've talked to the Soviet Union. They would be open to us going there. We're socialists. They're socialists. They would take us. Why do we have to commit suicide? And he's like, you know, shuts her up. Right. And actually, everybody kind of leaps on this lady. He's like, what are you talking about? They won't respect us. We have to go now. Yeah. Oh, my God. How many people was that? It's a thousand people who Jesus like committed Christ. suicide. Um, Is that one of the biggest like mass suicides or the biggest? Oh, Mary Beth. <laughs> oh, Mary Beth. It's the biggest single loss of American life before 
holy shit. Yeah. Oh my God. Just like period. Yeah. Holy shit. All just because this one guy. This one had guy. Had enough gumption. Yeah. And enough things got into his brain to tell him that all of this was a good idea. It's drugs. Yeah. And he was fuck. operating on like a couple hours. Sleep I was gonna a say he was probably because of the drugs and like he's in so much pain and what did he's he just going mad? Do they have they like diagnosed him with stuff like post mortem or anything like that? Like what was he dying from? Was he just that old? He wasn't even dying. He was just sick. Yeah. I don't know exactly what he was sick And with. he just like wanted everybody else to go down with his ship. And that's what I think so. I think his. he was just so kind of delirious and and <sighs> on so many drugs. So this is one of the things that you've like, you said you've watched a lot of like documentaries and read up a lot about this stuff. Yeah. So there, there is a, a, a Jonestown like documentary, uh-huh. right? What, what's it called? Oh my god, I can't remember. There's That's multiple fine. documentaries, yeah. but I can't remember what they're called. But so you've watched more than one documentary about this <laughs> yes. in particular. Yes. What are some of the other big ones that you've found yourself becoming like morbidly fascinated with? Like cults? Because obviously, yeah. Because obviously that is like the coup de gras. <laughs> like Yeah. That one is oh oh my god. The so some of the people who survived were like teenagers and the defect a couple defectors sent their like teenage children into the woods okay to like hold out until rescue these kids <sighs> were lost just like wandering lost in the south american wilderness for days uh almost starving to death like this story just keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier. Oh, oh my <laughs> just God. just been agape and shaking my head because I don't know how to fathom he, any of this. He sends a message to the Georgetown, like, headquarters. Like, Georgetown is, like, their, the capital of Guyana. Okay. And that's where their, like, communication with the outside world, I think, They keep in from. touch with the, you know. He sends a message just being like, hey, guys, uh, time to kill ourselves. And... This these parents uh, stab their three children with a knife and then stab each other. Like in the capital. Yeah, they're separate just from everything else. Finding out. They're just like, uh huh, uh huh. Okay. Yikes! What in the world? Why? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, why yeah. are there so many people who blindly? Buy into paying hundreds of dollars for classes at a time. (laughs) (laughs) You can play at this game, Brad. (laughs) I don't know. They're smart people. They should know better. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Like I said, there's no way that it begins to get close to topping this insanity. Mm. Well, I guess... Scale-wise, I'm sure there are plenty of other things that are just as insane in Uh terms of, like, what people were convinced of and convinced to do. But, yeah, nobody – leave it to Jim Jones to just relocate a thousand people to another place. (laughs) A thousand people. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else – what else ticks around in your little brain when you think of cults at night as you lull into uh, 
as I stare vacantly at the ceiling. As you dull <laughs> for, into a fitful sleep. For hours and what hours. I was going to say. <laughs> praying that God will grant me the gift of sleep, but he never does. <laughs> um, there was, there's a show on Netflix called Occult Murders. Okay. That... Uh, was recently added uh-huh. that I've started watching. <laughs> and one of them that I really like is The Order of the so- Solar Temple. Ooh. Or, or OST. Order of the Solar Temple. And I think it was in, I think it was like in Europe, like in England or something. It was not, I don't think it was American. Maybe it was, maybe it was in Canada actually. Ooh. Is it French? Why is this so French Canadian? Maybe I think it's French Canadian because it gives a French name. Uh, yeah, yeah it co- might have been Quebec. Quebec. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. That's why why I thought it was in Europe. Uh, yeah, um, right. That does make sense. Yeah. Um, so w- it it had it was this like really cool, really weird, fun uh, cult at first. Where um, people would like give up all their possessions. Oh, as as you do. Yeah, and they would uh, <laughs> join this commune, and uh, the services were cool because he would do like weird lighting and tricks and things to convince people that he was communing with <gasps> uh, entities, Whoa. interdimensional entities. Whoa, which I love this. Yeah, and, uh, this was like in the '90s. You know, it's not like lighting was yeah. a novel he could idea. Make it, he had like a sword that he would make do something like light up. Oh my gosh! Um, he had like rigged it with stuff. Oh my gosh! Um, so and, like a battery pack in his belt was enough to get some people to be like, "Whoa!" Yeah, but he's like commuting. he was pretty ingenious. Like these special effects were pretty ingenious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they made Jurassic Park in 95. (laughs) That's Uh, awesome. Smart. (laughs) Yeah, that's Um, a great analogy. Okay, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, yeah. if I'm seeing ghosts next to me in the car. (laughs) Yeah, so like if if you're seeing like this really cool show at a really cool theater, it makes you want to pay for classes. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) What was I talking about? Anyway. The order of the solar temple. (laughs) Yeah, so they got really invested in this. Um (laughs) <laughs> but eventually, uh, they got. Oh, I think. Why did they get? People started turning on the guy who ran it. Okay. And like bad press. This is always how it goes downhill. Like bad, right. like media scrutiny and like people kind of turning on this guy. Uh huh. And uh, so he had them. What did he? He wanted them to get on. Like he. He wanted them to burn themselves alive in their homes. Oh, my God. Yes. And then once they were burned alive, they would go to this other dimension Oof. or be, I don't even remember what it was. It was like taken by aliens or something crazy like that. Jesus. Um, but, it, but only specifically if they burn themselves alive in their homes. Yes. So, like, they would fall asleep. This is, like, multiple temple homes across Quebec uh, they would rig up this um, device this like very rudimentary little device that would 
start a fire while they were sleeping. They would take like sleeping pills and it would burn up their whole home with them inside it. Oh my God. And this happened once and then it happened again and then it happened again. And then finally the authorities were like, Wait a uh, hold on. All these houses are burning down with people inside them. We need to investigate. Oh my God. So they started putting these, um, Order of the Solar Temple families on surveillance. Whoa. To like watch them to make sure they didn't do it, but they couldn't watch all these families all the time forever. Right. So there was this one story that I remember specifically from the the documentary where uh, this family decided to, like the parents decided to uh, set the house on fire with the family inside, but the kids were not on board with being burned alive. So they were like, understandably, no, thanks, mom and dad. (laughs) And they woke up one night. One of the the kids woke up or I guess both kids woke up to the smell of gas. And they go downstairs and they find that the little there's a device set up. Right. And it's like malfunctioned. (gasps) Oh, my God. And so the next morning they like. Have a conversation with their mom and dad, and they say, uh, Were you no, trying to burn us down? No, because thanks. No. <laughs> We're not on board. Hello. Oh my God. Listen to us. <laughs> oh my God. And then, how do you get past that? Like, another night, it happened again. They like smell gas, they wake up, they go downstairs. The device has malfunctioned again. Their parents have tried to burn them alive in their house again. Oh my God. So now they're like, um, we're going to sleep in the shed. Um, don't try that again. But if you have to. And then they tell them how to do the device correctly so that it'll work. As long as, like, uh, this is a condition of them not being included. Oh, in my being, God. Like, so like, alive. like, assisted suicide, basically. Yeah. But sparing themselves. Yes. And that's what went down? Yes. The, like, Holy the house burned Jesus down. Jesus Christ. And the kids, like, told the police, yes, we fixed the device. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. How do you then, like, uh, those people are, like, how, how old were these kids, you know? Uh, I don't remember. It, it's unimportant. In the reenactment, they seem like, Maybe maybe tweens? Yeah, that's what I was kind of guessing, was I feel like you would have to be aware enough, but not quite old enough to be able to, like, yeah. just be like, I think they were in deuces, such a kind I'm of like, 16, I'm going to drive away. You yeah, know what I mean? They were in such a weird headspace being raised by members of a cult. Right, but the fact... They didn't know what was reasonable. Right, exactly. But the fact that they were able to be like, no, not on board, don't want to die with you. Yeah. They would have to have enough like logical, you know, cognitive stuff to mm-hmm. to, to push back. And to me, what that says is these people are now like in their thirties and forties and just live their lives <laughs> knowing yeah. that that's a thing that Happened to them. Well, it's like, uh, yeah, so many of these cults have, like, people connected to them that are just survivors that are, like, living their lives. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking, like, Jonestown, 
I was reading that the guy who tried to stab the United States Senator uh, was let out of prison in 2002. What? Yeah. <laughs> he's just walking the earth. He's, he's been out for he's 15 like, years. Yeah. That was a crazy time when I tried to stab a U.S. senator. Anyway, uh, breakfast burritos, anyone? <laughs> anyway, I'm going to order a sandwich yeah. with Steve Buscemi. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. It, it's just the level of... Not being able to Delusion. fathom yeah, yeah, what someone else has been deluded into believing and now is just walking among us. <laughs> How did so where did this solar temple stuff land? So it started to get worse and worse where I think there was one incident where like a dozen people were burned alive. Um but then like they found the bodies and um they had been shot in the head like like they'd been willingly semi-willingly shot but like they had bags over their heads and i think they'd taken drugs to like chill them out right and so that happened so somebody just like went through the house and like shot a bunch of people and then lit it all on fire well they were like in a line oh boy yeah in i think the all wearing the same pajamas and bullshit You got it. Um, (laughs) And then there was another one after that where they were like in the woods and they'd been, you know, put in a line and shot one after another. What happened to the leaders? Um, I think that they committed suicide. That's how a lot of them go down, huh? It's been a little while since I watched this. Netflix documentary (laughs) (laughs) Occult Murders Yes I will watch that Is the font uh, Bloody Dripping Letters Yes I will click that (laughs) Is there uh, You know a scene that looks like It's in the Haunted Mansion but less Cute (laughs) Yes You know it's good when it's got uh, Low budget (laughs) reenactments Of the horrific tragic murders of countless people what if they put on the breakdown for those like wanted a bunch of people to play yeah mass suicide victims like i would be like if i was going in for that i would be like is this like a setup right like as i got down on my knees every step of the way i would be like this is the setup for m- me being murdered. Dude, that has to have happened at some point. It <laughs> right? has to have. Like you're coming in for a, a movie scene. Right. And then they just shoot you. I mean, that's basically what casting couches are, right? Like, that's it's just a shitty excuse for a guy to be able to, like, sleaze on a bunch of actresses. It's just yeah. like a suicide casting couch. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, we're going to put you in the next Mission Impossible and then... That Bang. has to have happened at some point, and we maybe just don't know. About. There's probably some weird Russian snuff film that's like on the dark web. Well, yeah, I mean, a fucking <laughs> Lars von Trier gets people to like take their penises out. Yeah, have Who's sex penis? on camera and stuff. Oh, sh- was it Shia, Shia LaBeouf's, LaBeouf's penis? Yeah. yeah. 
Did you see his penis? I have. I don't think I've seen Shia LaBeouf's penis. Uh, <laughs> I have seen. Oh well, I mean, everyone saw Ben Affleck's penis in Gone Girl. Uh, I don't remember seeing Ben Affleck's penis. It was funny after Gone Girl, as we were walking out of the theater. I don't remember who I saw it with, but they were like, "Oh, Ben Affleck's penis, huh?" <laughs> and I was like, "Ben Affleck's penis was in that." For it's like my brain erased it as soon as it saw it. For as much as people talked about the fact that his penis was in it, you had to be like looking Eagle-eyed. for his penis. Yeah, uh, it's like in the it's in the foreground of a shot where you should be looking at the something else, main female character in the background. Isn't that always the way it is? <laughs> you should be looking at the strong female protagonist, but instead you're distracted by the big, gigantic Ben, ben Affleck, Affleck penis. penis. <laughs> <laughs> Not just any penis, but the Ben Affleck penis that you have on a popsicle stick that you hold up in front of any movie you're watching. <laughs> Pretty soon they're just going to put them out as 3D glasses. <laughs> well, sometimes if I don't hold it up, I get distracted. <laughs> I can't pay attention to the plot. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to just start putting a frame around all the yeah. movie theater screens. <laughs> uh, the Mummy in 3D featuring Ben yeah. Affleck's penis. In IMAX. <laughs> um, what are some other cults that you are a fan of? Um, that's the way that's here. the way that I should ask this question, right? You're like a big fan of all these cults. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm really on board with what they're doing, the good work they're doing. <laughs> You're like a, a co-signer, Some basically. people donate to charities, but I donate to <laughs> suicide cults. <laughs> <laughs> Are there cults that exist that we just don't find out about until something crazy happens? I mean, that seems like a dumb question. That has to be true. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what's a big cult... Now, in 2017, <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I know you're genuinely trying to think of it. Uh, other than the, the ones that I'm already in. <laughs> um, well, a lot of people, I, I don't, I know that you're on a team with one Lisa Burton. Yeah. Uh, and she is kind of fascinated with the cult nature of like multi-level marketing schemes. oh yeah so i feel like that avon is like, yeah <laughs> a very underlying you know like essential oils and stuff yeah if, if she's got a lot to say on that so well it's it's it does have elements of it like the giving away all your possessions that's the uh when you buy all their product to right. sell it like once you buy all their product and you have a car trunk or like a bedroom filled Full. with Avon skin lotion. Right. Um, it's really hard for you to be like, this is a cult. I don't know if this was a good idea. <laughs> yeah. This is not working out for me. Right. You're just so invested. It's right. too late to go back. What are some of the other things on that checklist that you have to like ask yourself, I guess? See, here's the double edged sword where I. All of your friends and family and everyone are involved in the cult. And if the family isn't involved in the cult, then they put a wedge between you. They're like, they're, you can't talk to them anymore. That's like Scientology. Yeah. Oh, they're no longer in it. 
Well, you can't talk to them anymore. What do they call the outsider? The like, they have a really specific gaijin. Really? No, that's yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I've like never heard Japanese of that. The Japanese word for outsider. <laughs> I was like, that seems like an informed response. Not what I was looking for at all. Good one, though. That's an improviser. Uh, it's I, something like... Heretic? or Person of questionability or something like that. It's like, it's not a very complicated name, but they use it all the time and they abbreviate it into like... It's oh. like PQ or something like that. And it, huh. it just means like... Uh, that like you can never talk to that person again. Once Tom, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes split up, she became this kind of person, whatever it's yeah, called. Personal person of questionable intent, maybe something like that. PQI. Yeah, and and yeah. and they that's just like how they. But I'm sure every cult has that shorthand for like. This is your family member trying to wedge you from. I don't. That I don't know really that much doing. about Scientology, but I do know. Like, for one thing, they split up families. Right. You know, they won't let you talk to, or it's not even that they won't let you. The person that you, that your the family members want to talk to in, that's in the cult doesn't want to talk to them. Right. Right. But it's encouraged by the organization. Would you consider Scientology a cult? Or it's technically still a I religion. I would say it's a cult. But it, isn't that like the the line that we ride is, is this a religion or a cult? I'm trying to think. I guess if it's... Uh, I mean, I've seen Going Clear. Like, I know how... Like I have not seen... You wouldn't oh, believe it, good. but I actually have not seen it's Going good. Clear. I, if you really want to... They, do, sh- they have child slaves, right? Yeah, that was a big part of, like, they have, like, a gulag-type situation uh, that they send some of these, you know, defectors to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yikes. Yeah, that's and cool. also, uh, David Miscavige's wife is dead, right? I, She's been murdered. There is <laughs> some crazy stuff surrounding David Miscavige and Tom Cruise's relationship to him. And going clear goes like covers a ton of that stuff. I would love to know. <laughs> I'd love to know. There's some crazy stuff, man, and 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 there's there are people in that who like speak out so publicly against it and so clearly about like what their experience was that I can't fathom what the you know Church of Scientology is able to do to make their lives miserable. You know what yeah. I mean? It's also pretty crazy to me that, like, there are still people with all of this knowledge, scrutiny, and all this knowledge about what Scientology does to, to people that they still are fine with it. Like, I think of Elizabeth Moss. Yes. It's still in Scientology. It's like, yes. what are you doing? Yes. Uh, it makes no sense to me. And also... That we're all fine. We're still even. We still love watching Elizabeth Moss in films and television. We still love watching Elizabeth Moss, and we still love paying for tickets to Edge of Tomorrow or whatever. Yes, that 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 money ends up going to fund whatever. Like yes, child slavery. I totally <laughs> agree with you. I think it's crazy that we are as okay with people who are Scientologists as we are. Yeah. Seemingly okay with. 
Um, did you hear that story where, like, when Tom Cruise was single, that they did some kind of search oh, for they his absolu- new bride? They absolutely did. Was that. that in the documentary? I believe it is. Yes. That was so crazy. I absolutely like that is certifiable as happened. And how did they find Katie Holmes? Did they find her or did she just appear? They talk about it in the documentary and I believe a lot of what they talk about, if I remember, is that she did one of the reasons why people looked into their relationship and kind of like fine-tooth combed it is because she did kind of seemingly come out of nowhere. Is because like all of a sudden they were seen like everywhere together and he was telling everyone how in love with her he was and it was like wait who the fuck again you know Mm -hmm. and it and i think it was something to the effect of like a a friend of a friend type deal like she was like groomed because someone went oh i think this would be a good you know she's got the look she's got the personality like i'm pretty sure it's Don't quote so me creepy. on this, but I, it was something to that effect where she just got kind of like swooped in and was on board with it. Oh, uh, it's so creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's a good example of something that's operating, you know, at full steam that we just accept that some, you know, major celebrities. I mean, Tom Cruise is one of the biggest movie stars, period. Yeah. We let him remake The Mummy. <laughs> we don't just let anyone do that. <laughs> we were like, Brendan Fraser, yes. Tom Cruise, mm, I'm not sure, yes. <laughs> we let that happen. Uh, we let him rename a movie from when it was in theaters to when it was released oh, on video. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it was die. Edge of Tomorrow, and begin, then Live, Die, Repeat. Live, Die, Repeat. And now the title is just... Edge of Tomorrow, colon, Live, Die, Repeat. Is that how they put it on? I think that's how I bet you're right, like on IMDb or something. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And they're making a sequel. What are they going to... I hope they call it... I hope to God they call the sequel Live, Die, and Repeat, and Repeat. (laughs) They have to call it that. That If they do not call it that, they might as well just like seppuku. Put Brendan Fraser back in it. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> wouldn't that be wouldn't that be? Whoa! Great? If they remade Edge of Tomorrow with Brendan Fraser, and it was like that's, a goofier, even goofier somehow. That's what they. That's what he should like make his career is like remaking, remaking Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise movies. Hey, fuck you, Tom Cruise! <laughs> I'm gonna remake your movies. <laughs> <laughs> trying to think like cocktail but with Brendan Fraser yeah. <laughs> they just recently signed off on a Top Gun uh, yeah. sequel get Brendan Fraser in there <laughs> Top Gun for sequel s- for some reason I really want something to be called Live Die Repizza I can't I've like never been able to stop thinking about it even though it doesn't make any sense I don't sense. know what the context will be <laughs> But it's going to be so funny when I figure it out. Exactly. It would just be people who really love pizza and they've got the alien blood in them that makes them like relive stuff. Right. So they're eating the pizza. And then at the end of the pizza, they're like, oh, no, we don't have any pizza. (laughs) And then they slit their own throats. (laughs) And then they eat the pizza all over again. No one take this idea. And they keep doing it a thousand, a million times. This is copyrighted. Uh, no one take this idea. <laughs> and then maybe Emily Blunt teaches them 
how to eat a pizza real good. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they've been eating it wrong. She's like, no, you start from the stuffed crust or something. I don't know. <laughs> she teaches them how to make their own pizzas yeah. so that they don't have to live this if way. If you dip the crust in marinara sauce, it's like you have cheese sticks. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she teaches them because <laughs> she's done it a trillion times <laughs> we have to make this <laughs> there's just something so absurd about that like the the tagline becoming the title of the movie and for some reason repeats uh, being what I wanted out of it I've never been able to stop that's like what I think about at night as I go up to sleep is like <laughs> What if there was live dire pizza? <laughs> uh, are there any other um, specific cults or natures surrounding cults that you would feel remiss to not speak to? I'd say probably what helps is like living at the cult, mm-hmm. like like you live there. It's like I I think the different one of the differences between a religion. And a cult is that when you're in a cult, you don't just go home to yeah. your McMansion in the <laughs> suburbs. Like uh-huh. you live at a compound, right? Or like a facility or right. some communal living place. And also that most of your news and information comes from the cult. That makes and, a lot and of the sense. The cult leader, mm-hmm. like David Koresh. Like the Branch Davidians, like they lived on a compound full of guns. <laughs> oh, right? God. Right, right, right. And usually you pay like $300 a session for classes. Um, <laughs> and you you get the chance to get to be on a team. <laughs> do, you, do you want to actually speak to what you feel like it is? I mean, I know we've been making these jokes <laughs> because that was part of what we touched well, on. Well, you, you said we were eventually going to lead back to something How about comedy. How it influences you And I was like, creatively. cults, comedy, I got it. Right, right. <laughs> I guess uh, part part of the reason that I'm fascinated by cults is, is probably because I'm in one and I'm like <laughs> content. I'm content to be in it. Like I know that it's a cult. I recognize all the tropes. And it's fine. I do. I mean, the more we talk about, like, you give up all your possessions, you know. I'm, oh, I, I'm broke as hell. Last week, <laughs> I just talked to Susan Glenn about, like, interior design mm-hmm. and how often she goes into people's houses and she's like, why do you have this? Like, what is your existence? And I think absolutely a part of that is, like, because of how much, like, time and energy is put into the comedy community, the other, like, the personal, like, way that one lives is so sacrificed for that. Oh, yeah. If you, um, when I moved to Chicago, I lived from from Texas. I thought you had southern roots of some sort. Yes. Um, I'm a political refugee. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I call it. Oh. Uh, But I feel I, you. I feel you hard. I'm I, from South Carolina originally, so it feels so good. Yeah, to not be inundated with all of that. All I'm the sure. Time. I'm sure. When you moved here, oh yeah, I I lived in the basement of this rooming house. Of course, you or did. No, no, I started out in the top, and then it was run by some kind of gangster guy. 
I looked him up on the internet, and his name was Mike Jaws Durango. He, he had a nickname. He had a nickname. Oh, he had like my a record. God. Oh my god! And then slowly but surely, he would come up, and he would be. Like, it, it was like pretty good situation at the on, on the top floor, and mm-hmm. slowly but surely, he would he would come up, and he'd be like, um. Hey, um, we have someone else moving in, and uh, we we really need this room for them. Would you mind moving down just like one floor? It's, oh my it's god! It's basically the same room, except that room slightly worse. Right. So Would he your did this several times? Uh, no. Oh boy. And so I'd move down floor after floor after floor until I was in and and it would just get slightly worse slightly worse slightly worse until I was in the basement in a room that had no space between the bed and the walls oh my god I took a photo of it because it was so funny oh my god I was like this is how I'm living right now I'm I'm uh I'm making poor choices right right (laughs) and then uh then I lived in what I think was after that I think it was someone's closet oh. it, ha- it could not have been a room and i know it couldn't have been a room because the ceiling slanted down at such at a height and angle that precluded standing living up. accommodations <laughs> yeah yeah standing up so i just uh. like sleep on the floor and then i would get up and go go do stuff oh buddy <laughs> also i lived on a air mattress for like the first three years I lived here. It was that crazy. Is so, so indicative of like the comedy community yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, one of the big in the movie Don't Think Twice, the only movie that I can think of that's ever <laughs> been like made about improv. Uh-huh. First of all, the team is called the commune. Second of all, you meet two different improv teams. So the one, you know, that like Mike Berbiglia and all the people are on, and then a younger team that Gillian Jacobs coaches, or her, her character coaches, I guess I should say, that Gary Richardson is on, like plays a character uh-huh. on. And they're the like young, hungry, fresh phrased, hungry. Yeah, yeah. They're way funnier. Way funnier. <laughs> like you see them hang out with one another and they're actually having a good time. Whereas uh-huh. like all the people in the old team are all like bitter mad at each other cynical. and bitter. Exactly. So both teams all share an apartment together. Like, what? yes, as though that is an acceptable. So like how many people? That's four or five in both situations, because Gillian Jacobs' character and Keegan Michael Key's character like live on their own because they're like dating and they they have their own apartment. But I'm pretty sure uh-huh. everyone else on that like old team like shares an apartment, or maybe one of them lives with like their parents or something like that. But three or four of them live together, and then like two or three other people live in that space. It's like yeah. six or seven people in both apartments, uh-huh. and this is they all so. Each of the teams lives all together in their own apartment. Basically, yes. Like, yes. If not as a whole oh team, at least like two or three God. people from each team lives with like two or three other improvisers. Well, that makes the real improv community look positively uh, <laughs> no. emotionally healthy by yeah. comparison. Right. And so the only – I do think that that is like an exaggerated – a vastly exaggerated version yeah. of some things that do actually happen, which is like 
two or three improvisers living together and just like passing that apartment through generations yes. and generations yes. of other improvisers yep. and like much to the landlord's chagrin exactly I'm sure. <laughs> exactly I, yeah i cannot fathom how much negative influence is being built by the comedy community just based around like managers and landlords <laughs> oh yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just got, there have to be people who are going like, oh, fuck every improviser. <laughs> yeah. I feel like when, when if you aren't involved in the comedy community and you have a day job, the day job, you you invest more in it because Absolutely. it's your livelihood. And yes. And it's like what you're doing all and day. It's and it's probably a, a larger part of your social structure. You exactly. probably have a lot of friends who also work at your job. Um, you know, you go mm-hmm. get beers after work and then yeah. and maybe like you do a recreational softball league with your coworkers. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you're in the comedy world, it's like my day job is uh, I, I try to let it take up as little mental space as humanly possible. Same. I try not to talk to anyone. Yes. In case I endanger my potentially short lived time here. Right. Right. Uh, and then when it's done, I go home and or I, I go to think. Or you shows. go to, yeah, some improv thing. I think that's probably the most common story for people who... I, I, I think Mike Burpiglia as a stand-up and storyteller is so, so funny. Me too. And he's great. Yeah. Um, I really liked the Sleepwalk With Me. Exactly. Yeah. But he came and he talked, he, he came and he talked to uh, Devil's Daughter mm. for like some, when he was like promoting his movie. Right. And he's, he was, like, talking about how his whole ethos is putting the art above the profit. Like, he's, he, he, you know, there are things that he could be doing. Like, when he had his failed sitcom, he realized that uh, the money doesn't matter. He should only be doing the things that, like, he artistically bring sure. him happiness. Sure. And I was like, well, you're making millions of dollars off of this movie. Right. I don't know how much, right. but like it's it's done very well. Yeah. Sleepwalk with me. I know about it, you know about it. I right. it had I think it probably did pretty well. Right. Um I don't think making very marketable comedies <laughs> is necessarily art, art house comedies, I guess, is exactly like sacrificing sacrificing your, your uh money right, situation. Right. That's like, a really good point. And, and think of who you're talking to. Right. We make nothing. We have nothing. That's a really good point. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. You're talking to a bunch of people who don't ever sacrifice trying to make money. Like Yeah, and and because there's none to be made in what we are doing at this level. I don't know. I felt a little odd about it. That is weird. And it's you know, it's interesting to think about like when someone tries to tackle this topic again, because it seems like it, there's enough people doing it, and it is gaining popular. I mean, the 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 cult of improv is gaining popularity. Period. Yes. You know. Yeah. And I feel like that only continues to happen. Like it doesn't seem. I've talked to other people before. When Nico Carter did the show, I remember we had kind of a a conversation about where he felt like improv was versus where it was going versus where it's gone. Like since he joined the community and things like that. What did, what did he say? He basically he feels as though 
there is less like improv being done for artistic reasons and more improv being done like not necessarily with the like piece in mind more just for like who can rush in and say the funniest thing and like it's not necessarily as creatively and artistically satisfying for him on the larger scale. Yes. So he feels as though there may be, and I tend to agree with him that at some point that is unsustainable. Yes. That that is not a good enough form of entertainment for audiences to actually want to watch. Oh, uh, like everybody trying to be the funniest person on stage at right. once. Right. I was talking to Ben Harp mm-hmm. uh, from devil's daughter who mm-hmm. like moved to LA mm-hmm. and he was telling me that, he sees a lot of UCB shows and Los Angeles improv. And he was telling me uh, it was not as good <laughs> as Chicago, which he would say that. But he was saying the reason that it, it's not as good is because there's a financial incentive. Uh, like everybody thinks that they're going to be on a TV show. Right. I say financial incentive. They're not being paid. Right. But they think that the carrot is bigger everybody is in in it everybody is in it because they want to be famous of course everybody is in it because they saw don't think twice and they were like yes this all makes sense right um of course because you know uh thomas middleditch and ben schwartz do improv shows at ucb and they see those people on you know hbo and nbc and they're like well i'm gonna be like that you know what i mean so Everybody is trying to be the very funniest all at the same time. And it just doesn't make for good, like a good piece. And also they only do game games. Like they put so much emphasis on games that it's like uh, crazy. It's a very different school of improv, like teaching and performing. Uh, What other things? So giving up your possessions. Uh, (laughs) Cutting yourself off from anyone who is not involved in the community. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. That's so true. Blindly being aware of what any person of influence thinks or says or is able to do for you. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) This all sounds right. Usually uh, there's also some kind of... uh, gross sexual component to mm, a lot of the time yes good um, point i also a factor of don't think twice mike Brubigley's i characters. don't like that part of the cults i don't like it you just go <laughs> i turn it off when it goes on that <laughs> oh part of any cult of of yeah when that goes into that i get uh, it's like uh and then they did the they did what to the kids it's just uh, like no thank you jesus <laughs> you know fuck uh I or mean, sometimes you know it's like an authority figure like in a in a, a, a classroom situation <laughs> who's like taking advantage of a younger uh an initiation an, an initiant yeah sure person who's like just initiate? joined the cult um, right sure promising them great yeah, status yeah. within the cult that they will be rewarded for exactly. their loyalty exactly. to the cult mm-hmm. that they have a great level of influence within the cult already By established. By being associated with the um, authority figure. Right. Yes. Um, that they'll make a uh, 
I, I'm using quotes, team. <laughs> this is like a cult word for, you know, the upper echelons of the cult. <sighs> I will say, um, thankfully, I think it's it's getting a lot better. I think so, too. At least in the Chicago community. I think so, too. But it had to be a fucking apocalypse before yeah. it started to get better. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I actually... And also a lot of people had to um, move to L.A. all of a sudden. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people have had to leave. No, it's true, man. People have had to leave, be it this community altogether, be it, you know, a certain theater. I think that the Chicago Reader writing that big piece about Daryl Cox, the guy at Profiles, did a huge amount to shine a light on this kind of nature in the yeah. in both the comedy community and the Chicago theater community, because I think there are a lot of parallels there to begin with. There's just like very few paid positions and a lot of people who want to be doing it and are good enough at it to be doing it. And uh, I think there's more to come where that's concerned. I absolutely think that. And I, I think we're kind of like slowly seeing the cracks start and that it will only be a maybe that's part of what blows open improv is just I think it's also uh women talking to each other. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and not like battling each other. Like yeah. they're they're like all those Facebook groups have done so I mean, everybody makes fun of them, but like I think they're so good. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are men who I like side eye or think twice about because of things that I know to be true that have been proliferated through those kinds of conversations. Like, that's just a fact. Yeah. And also that's kind of happening right now in Life. so many different yeah. fields. Like I was reading an article the other day about how among uh, like MFA programs Whoa. and like creative writing uh, programs in particular that used to be that in order to get these kind of like positions and awards and things from the instructor you might like sleep with them jesus uh but now like Everyone's all the women are bullshit. talking to each other and they're like wait a minute oh, why are we no <laughs> man uh preach yes listen to other women <laughs> like if something <laughs> fucked up happens be like hey do you think this is kind of fucked up? Because odds are someone's going to have your back. Yeah. And that's like how you prevent cult shit from happening. And that's what I'm the most worried about is like I wish there were just some kind of like primer for for people, not just women, for people who move to this community who come in and only have the surface value, you know, the stuff that Mike Birbiglia saw yeah. when he looked at the improv community, you know, the stuff that's that's bubbling on the surface that you see and don't know, you know, all the stories from other people who work in this theater. I was thinking I was thinking to myself, does Mike Bur Mike Birbiglia must have no idea. Like he just must not know how deep it goes. Cuz when when I found out that he in the in the movie is an, is a teacher who like Praise on students. Praise on students. I was like, and it's like almost. Is it played for laughs, or is it played for like, oh, what a dummy, or like what a? I think it is played in with the intention of showing how sad that person's life is. Like I think he is played as, look at this guy, look at this fucking sad sack, who is okay. like forty years old and still has this dream of 
working for Weekend Live, quote unquote. <laughs> yeah, that's what they called it. Uh, and but in the meantime, like thinks that he's kind of God's gift to improv and uh, mm-hmm. convinces his young students of that as well. And like tells stories about how his friend is on Weekend Live now and how like oh. he's taught this person who's on Weekend Live now and like things like that. That is so depressing. Yeah, so I think that's the biggest takeaway as someone who like knows real people. That's like why that. I will never <laughs> let any of my friends become famous. <laughs> I, will, I will stop it. As soon as they get a call from like any network or anything, I will put in a call and I will I will make something up. That's honestly I will say, this person said something racist on stage. He cannot stop saying racist stuff. Uh, that's so funny. The the biggest <laughs> one of the biggest weird frustrations for me about that movie is that there are two people who you find out in the course of the film get to work for Weekend Live. Yeah. Both times that they tell their teammates this, their teammates are not excited for them. Like, it is not played for, like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, it, yeah. No one ever has that reaction. They're, the first time they get told, there is total silence. And the only person who congratulates them is the student only- that Mike Birbiglia is praying off of because she's at the table. And she's, like, the first one to say anything. She's, like, oh, my God, that's incredible. And then all the teammates yeah, yeah. are, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to congratulate him. And then the second time it happens, everyone is mad. Everyone says, like, fuck, are you kidding me? It was supposed to be me. And it's, like, if that is the creative environment that people are working in, none of them would be successful. Yeah. That's what's the most frustrating thing to me is, like, that makes would me not feel- happen. It makes me feel bad to even think about that because yeah. it seems so cynical about yes. uh, human beings. Yes. It is a, I think it is in the end a I mean, very of course, cynical view of those people. Yeah, of course, like, you know, if you're like very good friends, got on, like got some like really cool deal, you would be a little bit like, ah, well, of when's, course. when's my turn? Of but course. But like, that's, Wait. I don't. You know, we're all on our own trajectory. I don't want what this person has. I don't want what this... I want what I want. If that is your immediate response to a very good friend of yours that you collaborate with on a very regular basis, getting this huge opportunity, you need to reevaluate the way that you look at this. Period. So it's just like a very cynical look at, you know, improv teams and like how they operate and like what they want out of it and their relationships to one another. Anyway, spent too much time talking about that. I apologize. (laughs) How do you feel? We could have been talking about uh, people self-immolating, you know? (laughs) We did spend a decent amount of time on that. Even, you know, children helping their parents self-immolate. We we did talk about people emotionally or... (laughs) Yeah, like, there is some emotional psychologically self-immolating. <laughs> How do you feel like your interest in cults and your knowledge therein influences <laughs> influences you creatively and kind of your life as you move through it? <laughs> I'm sort of in a cult, <laughs> you know, and 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 it doesn't really bother me all that much. Like I recognize all the the like warning classic signs. warning signs that it's a a cult, right? But it 
it it's okay. Every I think everybody you still buy into it on a day to day basis. I do think everybody is part of their own kind of cults. Yeah. Okay. Um, everybody like chooses their thing that they are like that 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 is their cults. I their tend com- to agree with you. Um. It's just about picking the one that's right for you. And how <laughs> and, deep and, you're willing to go. Yeah, how deep are you willing to go and how self-destructive are you willing to be? Because that's the thing is, for Scientologists, for example, there's a lot of people for whom, and I, I believe it, uh, that Scientology is very helpful. Yeah. Um, there's a, in the early stages. Like they do sobriety like those, is a big thing, right? Yeah, sobriety. And they have these like communication lessons right. that are expensive and then they can go to the next class and the next class and they get gradually more expensive that's true uh but if they intern for scientology then they don't have to pay for their (laughs) classes yes yes that's how it works Um, i already went through classes so my job doesn't offer me any uh uh, (laughs) benefits other than uh monetarily monetary and experiences of watching shows oh i love watching shows do you think that the morbid nature of all of this influences your creative side? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I don't know what else to Herald say about team that. Your is called Devil's yeah, Daughter. Yeah, it's called Devil's like, Daughter. You're and like starting half from a- our shows are like the suggestion will be like uh, earring, and it's like I plunge the earring into <laughs> the giant eyeball. You know, it's like. <laughs> Blood, geysers of blood. You know, it's like, is this a comedy? Like, right. I don't even know anymore. But that's just like your, that's the thing that you're interested in. You yeah. know, that's yeah. your sense of humor. Uh, awesome. Well, I think that puts a nice capper on all of this personally. <laughs> yeah. I thank you very much for your time. We should, uh, you know, chat again once you've taken in Going Clear. And we can. <laughs> Yeah. Really dig into I'd the love cult to talk that about is it. Scientology. <laughs> I talked to Susan Messing about Scientology uh, when I was like 50 episodes in, uh-huh. and I was like really nervous because I admire her so much, and it was fascinating because she knows so much about ex Scientologists. Why does she know so much about she, Scientology? It's like her. She like has friends who were and is now like very into the like. Just trying to dismiss, like, she's very angry about it. You know, the for an hour, she was just, like, angry about Scientology. Oh, geez. Yeah. I, I, I do think there's a lot of similarities between, like, improv classes and Scientology classes. Oof. Right? I, th- I, I, I think you're probably based right. Based on the sort of rudimentary, like, description that I, I got. Right. Where it's, like, communication and, like, repeating Ooh, things. sure, and, yes. Uh learning how to yeah, speak getting rid of all your thetans uh yeah getting rid of your uh inhibitions <laughs> you're not wrong uh so with that said everyone listening uh <laughs> take in don't think twice uh become a scientologist these are the ways that you become an improviser <laughs> yeah also i've said i've been very like weirdly uh critical of io but i love io right. i work there i, I wouldn't mean, i perform there i don't yeah, do stuff there if i, I, like I it. think it should i think the best way to end this is to say like like you said we're both willingly a part of this thing yes. that we're being critical of but that is part of the way that you avoid totally buying into and not being able to see the forest for the trees is yeah. actually being able to mm-hmm. be critical of the like things of people that mm-hmm. aren't good about what you're doing but, uh, hey, Mary Beth, to tell you the truth, I've bought in completely, and I'm, like, really deep in it, and there's no getting out. 
because I work there and then also I perform there. So it's every single night I, I'm Brett, there. <laughs> Brett, Brett, are you are you passing me a note that says you want to leave? <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for doing the show. I'm going to do as much as I can to help you out. Because <laughs> I, I love you, man, and I mean that. <laughs> I love you too, Mary Beth. Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all, thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.